Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. This evening's Dharma talk is belief. And this is something I've talked about quite a bit, quite often. Belief, um, assuming, acting as if something is true uh, with no no assurance that that actually is true, but it's just sometimes in some things, it's just easier just to believe that and not really examine it closely, to look closely into each situation. Just like if we, if we leave, uh, we have, we, we, there's a carryover that helps us, it gives us some continuity in terms of time and space and the apparent, apparent movement of our bodies through time and space, which I'm going to say something is pretty obvious to everybody, but it still, I think, should be pointed out because that's kind of the way belief tends to work. Uh, we, when we leave the, the kitchen and come into our living room, we believe that even though we're not, it's not in front of us, we believe the kitchen is still there. So, of course, because we go back and forth and back and forth and it's never missing. It's always there. Uh, but when the belief we're talking about here, the belief that I'm endeavoring to bring to your attention is the unexamined uh, assumption of certain aspects of our life, of our experience. And <clears throat> the main one is belief that you are a separate uh, person with some kind of basic choice and autonomy. And you are, to some extent, that is true, but in, on a deep level of dependent origination or of how things come about, uh, it is a misunderstanding. And what I'm going to say is quite obvious. It's not like new information, but you don't really know. There's a belief that there is a person. We have a name. We have an identity. We have a. Uh, we can describe our personality. We do that in all kinds of different ways. We have, we have a history. We know where we went to school or who our parents are. There's all kinds of relative situations that we lean on to give us some uh, substantiality and some some security and not being lost in space. We're here. Uh, I know who I am and I'm this person or that person, this kind of person. Sometimes we even will say in conversation, well, I'm the kind of person that just doesn't believe everything I hear. Well, that's a good, uh, that sure uh, makes your personality safe. <laughs> I don't believe everything I hear. So why am I even talking about this? I'm saying, look closely at not just the belief, but the disbelief and look at the distraction or ignoring because it's a, a belief, a disbelief, or shutting down that's happening in the person, in the consciousness that is uh, immersed in personhood, in belief in this and belief in that. Uh, even in Buddhism, we don't, if someone comes to you and said, and asks you if you're, or knows that you're a Buddhist or that you practice Buddhism, or you study Buddhism, however you describe it. If someone says, well, what do Buddhists believe? You can actually say they don't believe much. They might have a few beliefs, but there's not many. The fundamental belief situation is more about the theistic path of spirituality, where there's a higher power, higher being. And this is not wrong. It's just another way of relating to your to your life and to the impermanence and the difficulty 
and with the personhood that is without a center. And what is recommended here, of course, is to look at that, to sit down, hold still, and to watch the, the, the mind build up ideas and constructs uh, about what is true, what's not true, what should happen, what shouldn't happen. It's a whole labyrinth, a whole um, uh, interior uh, monologue, dialogue, conversation with ourselves about this and about that. Belief and disbelief. So the beginning of that is to see the, the extent, the degree to which you are operating out of a certain kind of fixation on some aspect of your personality. It might be uh, fixating on something in such a way that you don't have to look at it. In other words, you have a way of ignoring certain things about your life where you just don't look at them unless something comes up and triggers that. So um, it'd be anything from jealousy to uh, anger to uh, depression. It could be uh, resentment. Lots of other words that would describe uh, negativity happening in the mind stream that causes us to be unhappy or confused. And so what's being said on the Buddhist path, as I've said so many times, and many people have said before I got here in different ways, is about awareness. It's about bringing the awareness in a, in a, um, in a very definite, direct, and precise way, uh, bringing that, that awareness to the mind stream, to what is moving in the mind stream, because that's, that's where all of this comes from. This is where your hands come from, where your body comes from. It comes from that state uh, we call consciousness. We don't know exactly what that is. We, we don't know. Uh, science doesn't know, um, even though they, they fiddle around in there and they go into the brain and try to put electro electric stimulation stimulation in there and then ask you what you saw. And you, you saw your mother at the ironing board in, in 1963 or something like that. Probably not, because that's quite a long time ago. But you, you know, it, it triggers, uh, and, and that is somehow supposed to mean that uh, your consciousness or your identity and all of that is happening in the brain. When, uh, when that area, that organ is just a, a kind of a processing place to, to connect to the consciousness with this organism. That's, that's the area where that is set up at. How do I know that? I don't know that. I don't believe that nor do I disbelieve it. It is possible for in consciousness, if one has worked diligently and um, persistently to see the way identity works in the consciousness, to, see, to get that self-centeredness in view so you can see the way you push on some things, pull on others, and shut down on others. It's in the Yogacara tradition called the seventh consciousness. That paranoid part of the consciousness that thinks there is somebody that's in danger, needs protecting. You don't have to get rid of that. You don't have to get rid of your ego, of your self-centeredness or your narcissism. You just have to get it in sight so you can actually see that it is untrue. It's going to seem pretty true. It's going to seem very true. Sometimes the emotions that are attendant upon that 
grasping or fixation on a self are so intense uh, that we just believe that we are someone who has been put upon, who has been mistreated, who has been all, all of the other things that show up, disrespected and so on. It's not that that doesn't happen relatively, it does, but who you are is not just a relative uh, organism uh, hanging out on a big ball of dirt in the middle of nowhere. There's much more to this lifetime than just the body-mind, uh, the receiving part of the mind, the seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, and even thinking part of the mind. So belief, how do we work with that? Uh, we don't, when I say don't believe, don't disbelieve, don't ignore, look away. Uh, what I'm asking you to do fundamentally is to, to look at the way you take certain things for granted. Don't change them. Don't necessarily cut into them with some kind of a mental monkey wrench, but just, just look at the way you grasp at some things as being true. Sometimes that's more accessible or more possible to do that when not much is happening in the mind. When you're sitting, your life is going fairly well, you're sitting at your in your meditation hall or room or uh, at the end of your bed or wherever you're at, wherever you're sitting, holding still and practicing awareness, practice, meditation, um, shikantaza. Sit down, hold still, observe. Sit down, hold still, observe, observe. Sit in a symmetrical posture and just observe what continues to uh, arise in, in uh, without particular particular symmetry to it, but it's always off-center some way. Don't meddle with it. Don't try to correct it into some kind of perfect understanding or perfect uh, your idea of samadhi or enlightenment. Do nothing with it. Just observe it. Just observe the difficulty, no matter how mixed it is with emotions about it or negativity or things that feel like they don't belong, or you shouldn't be feeling this way. All of the commentary that can come up with that. Shoto bowing. Shoto. Um, can we deliberately challenge our beliefs? I'm thinking of like reading, um, like going in and reading something that challenges the way I look at something. Can can going into our beliefs in that way help us to investigate them? Can you give me more of an example? I think I would say. I'd say yes, but I want to know more where you're coming from. I'm thinking of some of the history books that you might bring up that have really, like, ways that we aren't taught in our school um, about things that we did in the past, but to go in and um, look at some positions that challenge the way that we're um, relating to, like, a social issue. I'm not sure where you're going with it, but yeah, you mean, should you read? Yes. <laughs> it is, is going into it like um, deliberately um, with an activity like that, a way to investigate those beliefs. I feel that it is, yes. Every way that you can. This is why we study. We don't just go to a mountaintop and just look at a wall the rest of our life. We, we do that, then we also return. We return to the wall, we return to the 
the, the teacher return to the teaching, what is being taught, not only by this uh, teaching situation or this person, but, but down through the centuries. Look at all the, all of those who have been, who understood the Buddha's Dharma, practiced meditation, practiced and studied these teachings and was, were able to, to teach out of it. The 30 verses of Asabandhu, the works of Dogen Zenji, which you were studying today, today, and they're, they didn't know each other. They were in different centuries, but what they're saying is very similar, said in different ways through their personal um, understanding. So what else? Is there some area that you're thinking of that I mean, should you read? Should you read the nation, or would it be better to read? Uh, what are you thinking of? New Yorker? Yeah. Should I read the nation or should I read the New Yorker? Read both of them, especially the cartoons. But should have bowing. I guess what I'm asking is, is there a risk of just becoming callous or just learning to tolerate things by going into it that way? I don't think so. The most important thing for, this is what could be generally for anybody who's listening to me, most important thing for you, for you to do might be one of the things you could be doing is, you know, I don't know, I don't recommend that you join the Peace Corps, but maybe you're already motivated to do that. Maybe you're a young person, you want to do that. I don't think that's a good idea. So. But I wouldn't stop someone, even if they were a student of mine, if they were saying, no, I think I really need to do that. Then I would say, just make sure you practice a lot. Train your mind. So anything you do run into there uh, is because you won't know if you had to have a clear mind because a clear mind is full of confusion or nature of clarity is confusion. You don't understand and ask more questions. Sit more. More. Thank you. So the ego mind will try to take confusion because the ego mind needs a credential. It needs to know what it's talking about and what's right and what's wrong. You know, quite often we'll say to ourselves or in a conversation, well, do you think that's right? Or is this right? Or is this good or bad? Is this good or bad? Is that good or bad? It sounds like a perfectly reasonable thing to ask someone in the social structure or in our family, but it's don't settle that quickly. Or anything. Look at it, look at it, and have a willingness to receive the, the first teaching of the Buddha. As I've said, probably maybe hundreds, but at least dozens of times. The first thing the Buddha said, as far as we know, is life is suffering. This is not nihilism, it's not negativity, uh, it's not a downer. It's just true. It's true. And if you begin to train your mind, and begin to slowly, over time, watch what arises in the mind stream. And it can be any number of things. Some people have very little negativity arising in their mind stream. They might not have anything uh, ever show up as a strong, neg- uh, a strong negative kind of situation for their life. And some people are fundamentally suffering constantly by otherness, by apparent this or apparent that or this or that. Life is suffering. It's difficult. Our nerve, our nerve endings are being abraded by all kinds of things all the time. Nicole, you're actually going to ask me a question, Nicole. I think so. Is this the first question she's ever asked me in, what, 15 years now? No, it's only been 15 months. Go ahead. 
How can we look at our negativity when it isn't being triggered? So notice what you just said. You're aware that the negativity is not being triggered. That's awareness. So that means that your awareness around that is much more, you're much more clear about the confusion uh, because you're already doing what you're asking about. You're already aware that there are intervals when when that negativity is not there, but you've been around long enough to know that that can be triggered. It can come, come back. It's just around the corner. Nothing is happening. But then this happens and that happens. Somebody says this, this occurs in your life, or maybe nothing. A parent shows up, but somehow it gets triggered and then you're flooded with negativity again. This is why it's so important. And I'm biased here to, to spend a lot of time doing nothing but observing. And not much will happen there. Uh, it gets more and more kind of, to ego, it feels kind of useless. And the ego will try to talk you out of meditating by saying, this isn't getting anywhere. Maybe you get it. Maybe you better find another way to train your mind. You're not really understanding yourself more deeply. The ego is always using some kind of credential situation to undermine your wisdom. Uh, the two things that it, See, they were even called the bandits of hope and fear. The bandits of hope and fear. Hope for something better and fear of something worse. Those two are not separate. And they team up and steal your wisdom by scaring you or enticing you into otherness, enticing you to do something that really wouldn't have to do. Don't do anything unless you have to. It's a powerful teaching. It's very simple, very direct, but it will help you hold your seat and it will help you Mind your own business. More? Nicole Bowen, should we... If, if I know it's right around the corner, I have a tendency to want to look at it when it's not showing up so I can be prepared. <laughs> that would be all right. That would be all right. As long as you're doing sitting meditation, uh, then this is just my way of talking about it. I'm not saying there isn't some other way that I don't know about. But from my understanding, uh, yes, you can do that. You can, you can bring something, in, bring something into the mind stream in order to to look at it or to contemplate it, if you're already uh, doing a fair amount of meditation. When I say a fair amount, it's different for everyone, but generally an hour or more a day, an hour or more, an hour to two hours a day, and that would be outside the monastery. In the monastery, probably should be more than that. Yes, sir. Questions from YouTube. This is from James. Um, yes. He says, I enjoy studying the sutras and reading Zen books. I was told not to study the sutras too much, but I find it important for my practice. What is your advice on this? Thank you so much. Um, when somebody tells you not to do that, I don't know who's telling you. Is it? Uh, is this your teacher that's telling you? Do you have a, a teacher? If your teacher's telling you not to do that, then don't do it. If you have a teacher. If you don't have a teacher, it might be good to look into that. And I'm not here promoting this person as a teacher particularly. Uh, to respond to the question generally, I would say, why wouldn't you read the sutras? But if you're studying Buddhism, then that's that's one of the ways places you would look. Sutras, commentaries on the sutra, Lankavatara Sutra, Samdhinamachana Sutra, Heart Sutra, Diamond Sutra, all the Prajnaparamita literature. 
all the works of Dogen Zenji. You should study. If you're studying Zen, you should study all of that. Not to mention Vasubandhu and and the early early texts of uh, Buddhism. It's good to get familiar with some of those. You don't have to read all of them because there's, there's a, a lot of them. But read, uh, yeah, you should read. You should read them. That's how it looks. But if you have a teacher and he or she is telling you otherwise, then you might want to take it to them and say, well, why? Or maybe, are there some that I can read? Or could just find out why you're being told not to read sutras. That's kind of an odd thing, I think. Seems odd. Yes, sort of bowing. Um, that question is just reminding me, I think it comes up in Dogen where some people teach about the um, transmission beyond the scriptures. So what what is um, that transmission that's not within the sutras? It's uh, if if I'm understanding what you're asking about, it's just direct transmission from the teacher. So the teacher can be, they can be pointing this, pointing this out all the time, but you have to see it. You have to see what is being pointed at in order to for the teacher to be able to point, there has to be a student to receive that. It's mutual. There's another question. Go ahead. Who's it from? Um, Jindo. Jindo. Um, he asks, I heard in a talk somewhere a belief is just confidence without clarity. Would this be a good way to describe it? No, you didn't hear it from me. And if you did, then I was wrong. <laughs> no, it's not. It's it's a conditional uh, confidence, and, and and probably the clarity that is there. Not that we couldn't take what you what was just said and fool around with that and get it to show up as as a, in, in some way accurate. But I would rather do it this way and say no. It's conditional confidence based on some kind of need to, to stop looking at something. Because when you look at it, it looks more and more and more confusing. So that, by, uh, that, that aligns a little bit with what you're saying there. But it's, it might be better to look at it more closely than that. Look at the actual confusion and not jump to some kind of confidence about it. Some kind of a belief that this is belief. Belief covers things up. If you, if you believe something is true, you stopped investigating. You just operated out of the belief. More, Gene Doe? Choka. Choka Bowing. Um, earlier you were talking about the unexamined belief in a self. And if somebody sees through a self or an identity, does belief still function there could still be a grasping there but one and this is it's very conditional and dependent on each individual and the karma that you're showing up uh in this world with so there can still be a feeling that there's some some being or some cent uh, central uh consciousness happening there but you at the same time see that it's unreal you see that it's not substantial and it's just a, a knee-jerk belief a knee-jerk belief Quite often it'll happen, it'll show up as uh, if, you, if you're beginning to see through the self, which is uh, uh, the first boomy 
Pramudita, I think it's called. And if you're beginning to see that, that there is no solid being that is threatened or can get anywhere, there still can be some kind of remnants or pieces of that somehow. I don't know if that would be a good. So it can still be there depending on all kinds of other things. But it's, uh, it's you could say that it's becoming to be clear, but it's not complete yet. There's still more work to do. One is still looking at it as an idea about no self rather than the actual no self. The actual no self is devastating to the ego. And if the ego has not been devastated, then uh, there's more to be done, more to be seen. And then when that's seen through, then we have to begin to see through other, which is very, very magnetic and convincing and magnetizing and seductive, the otherness, the otherness. Senshu. Senshu bowing. What do belief and disbelief depend on? Hope and fear, relative uh, that and, and attachment to something, some other, or attachment to detachment. In other words, attachment to something you want to get rid of. I can't stand this anymore. I can't take this anymore. This has got to go. I got to change this. Or I need more of this. I need. I can't get enough of this. I'm getting. I'm getting some, but I. Need, I still need more. I deserve more. Uh, I need more. I should be getting more. Other people are getting that. Why am I not getting it? I'm just making up a few. Uh, but it's like that kind of polarity that has to do with what? With craving? With lust on some level sometimes, and just a deep desire for for control or for power. A lot of uh, uh, a lot a lot of people are are just so hooked on needing power that they'll they'll trample all over a lot of people in order to feel powerful. This is a temporary situation. Since you bowing, what is the difference between? Believing, um, believing that something is the case, and just working with something, um, going with it. It's something you do all the time as a therapist, don't you? You're, you're there. You're not sure what's going on. You don't know what's going on with the person. Uh, you can't really calculate it and figure it out, but you endeavor, if I may say it for you, endeavor to meet people where they're at. You're kind of where they're at. Uh, you're pretty good at that. Not a compliment. But you're, you're good at being in the particular chemistry or mix uh, of, other, of, of the other person, of whatever they're going through, especially if people are having difficulty. You. Some people might mistake it for compassion, which it could be somewhat compassion, but it's more about just um, somewhat mesmerized by others' confusion, if I may say it that way. But just like Sokaran described your Dharma talk once as being a snake charmer. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. And that's because it's hard to see what your positionality is. But you you have a, a seductive, and I don't mean, I'm not talking about a sexual thing whatsoever. I'm just saying you have a uh, it's very much involved with passion. 
That's why you have the name that you have, Senshu, hidden treasure. People meet you and they see something really valuable in you. Do you see it? That's how you see it. More? Um, what is the difference, though? Um, Between what? Belief and going in okay, here, your direction. Here's, here's the belief. I believe this or believe that, or just, you name it. You just, you lock down on it. You believe the person you're talking to is crazy or nuts or, or, or the, or the, the situation, or you, or you think that you're crazy or you're, uh, you, you lock down on something in some way. And you might lock down, but not for very long. Just your style. It's your way of, of working with things. What happens, if you want me to go further? So what happens is you, you, you get used to just not knowing what the hell is going on. Would you call that a bingo? Yeah. But people come to you, want to be heard. They want to, they want to, they need somebody to talk to about what, what they're, what's happening with them. I'm not saying that you can't, you don't have a, ways of working with people that fundamentally will help them. I'm not saying you're just a, just a listener, but sometimes in order to really help with somebody, you have to spend a lot of time receiving and listening. You're very good at receiving. More? Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for everything you do. Further questions? Kevin Bowen. Yes, Kevin. You sometimes encourage us to c come to sitting practice with the intention to see clearly what this is. Mm -hmm. And you just said, you won't know if you have a clear mind because a clear mind is full of confusion. I did. So does that intention naturally fall away, Bowing? Inten what intention? The does the intention to see clearly fall away when you don't know that you're seeing clearly? Yeah, eventually that kind of wears itself out. And you just, you don't, you don't go towards this. You don't abandon this for that. And you don't grasp at this and ignore that. You don't take a position. You just, you're just present. It's sometimes called presence, authentic presence, completely present, completely 200% present with no agenda. If there's any agenda uh, if on the Buddhist path, the only agenda is to be with all things, save all beings. So you sit in your uh, presence, you sit in your own presence and other people, if they come to you, might just be at the kitchen table, you might be talking about the Super Bowl, but there's still presence there. And of course at Christmas, there's always presence. Yes, sir. What's the difference between meeting a situation where it's at and agreeing with where a situation's at? Good one. So to meet a situation where it's at is to neither agree or disagree or look away. Again, we're backed up grasping, rejecting and shutting down or belief, disbelief and ignoring. So it's just to have a willingness to 
to just be with whatever's arising without having to have any kind of description, validation, judgment to reinforce the, the fearfulness of a self that is unreal, that is terrified of not knowing where the hell he or she is at at any given time in any given situation. Especially if you're around people who are grasping at their mind stream in such a way that they have beliefs, opinions, and judgments of you and of everyone else based on relative truth, which they are, uh, which they are not only enamored of, but are addicted to. And when you start to, to float away on your meditation cushion from that grasping, rejecting and shutting down, uh, you begin to enter a dynamic where there's less and less reference point. And the ego mind will keep shouting at you, you can't do this, this is not going to work, you need to find some kind of a, you need to have an opinion, <laughs> you need to have a, you need to find a reference point. Is this right? Is what I'm doing right? I'm feeling more and more uh, left out, more and more lonely, more and more and more. This can't be right. So what do you think? Besides thoughts? More? Sure, bowing. Um, so, with the way you're describing meeting, is there um, is there no reference point or conclusion in that? Bowing. So this is this is an area that is uh, is challenging from the point of view of understanding what is happening because the if if the if the mind stream is uh, clear of any obstruction of an imaginary self that's trying to stop something, start other things, and uh, distract uh, itself from other things, and there's just presence, then some things, because of dependent origination, because of pratitya samapada, I'm going to use a fancy Sanskrit word because it's very important. It's not the constructed, it's the dependently arisen. The constructed is imaginary. And that imaginary aspect of the consciousness is still looking for reference points. But dependent origination may look like uh, um, uh, the, the, the imaginary nature. And so therefore it may be, we may want to interfere with dependent origination because we don't like that. This shouldn't be happening. Well, this, it's okay for this to happen, but so we hear this, this shouldn't be going on. I, sh I need to step into that and change that. So it takes mind training. It takes uh, the ability to fundamentally not be unclear at all about your identity. And that involves a lot of looking at uh, confusion. And that you have to look at the confusion, not try to repair it based on ideas of how the ego mind would fix this and stop, stop this or start that or validate this or take, take the fuel away from this or that. So it's difficult just present just present this is what you're practicing when you sit down and face the wall you are training your mind to just be here simply put sit down hold still and be here for hours hours until you're always here until the boundary between what this is like sitting here and what it's like uh, to be in the kitchen uh, washing dishes or uh, sitting on the can or get, heading out to your car or walking into the hardware store. Any, any of that positionality that shows up uh, 
there's this fundamental presence that's always there. And, but it's covered up by fear, and it's covered up by hope, and it's covered up by uh, grasping at the confusion as needing to be fixed or taken away. But it doesn't need to be taken away because that which appears as confusion, if seen clearly, is just dependent origination. Further questions, especially on Zoom from anyone who's out there in the distressed areas of the world, or maybe happy and peaceful areas. Isaac Bowen. Go ahead, is, Isaac. Is you're in Indiana, so you're okay. Illinois. Oh, Illinois. Uh, well, it starts with an I. Um, <laughs> <Give me a> break. <laughs> <laughs> Is embarrassment an indicator that I should look somewhere that is pointing to? Following? Good question. And it would depend on, it'd be somewhat dependent on how that's coming about, but just be embarrassed. Embarrassment is a, it's like, a, I'm not coming up with a good image, but it's like just suddenly discovering you need a bath. Kind of thing. It's that. It's kind of embarrassed. Oh, I didn't, didn't realize that I was uh, that I was missing out on something that I was. So maybe that maybe that metaphor, that image doesn't work so well. But it's like that kind of kind of embarrassment of missing something or not being up to date on something mm -hmm. or being left out would be embarrassing. And just just realizing the, how self centered you are. And that you can't stop it. You can't get rid of narcissism. It won't go away. It's unreal. So you can't just stop being uh, egotistical, self-centered, because it's unreal from the get-go. What do you have to do? You have to actually see that it, that that is a concoction. That is that is imaginary. There is no solid being. Even this body mind, which keeps reinforcing the five skandhas, form, form feeling, perception, concepts, or a thinking process, and consciousness of the six sense fields and their objects comes together and says, me, me and my world, my stuff, that's the wall that I, uh, look, I'm looking at, and these are my hands. Look at, your, look at the back of your hand. Go spend 10 minutes looking in the mirror. Where did that come from? How did that, it was something we, uh, we just say, me, it's my hand. But we only go back uh, uh, so far. You might say it's only skin deep. And you look inside and see what is there. This is an astonishing situation that human. What, what this, this is made of. We did not think this up. It's an I astonishing. It's an astonishing situation. Go ahead. Um, I, should I, when it does arise, should I endeavor to just feel it? Yeah. I wouldn't do much with it, and and I wouldn't necessarily crank it up or look for why or do anything with it. I'll just feel the feel the texture of the feeling. Just feel that. However, that embarrassment feels. It, it won't last if you. It will tend to persist if you push it. It will persist if you validate it or justify it or explain it or blame someone yourself or anyone else or try to fix it or correct it. 
or if you ignore, shut down on it, look away and distract yourself from it in some way, it will tend to persist. And if it doesn't persist, it'll go around the corner and wait for that trigger to come again. But if you just feel it, if you just, if there's just a very simple understanding that just receive, just give everything your attention. And it's like the world is trying to give you what this is all the time. And yet we shut down in our little isolated uh, cabins or a little, you know, it's like being in a canoe, only it's upside down. Isaac Bowling, if, yes. if any emotion um, passes quickly or the quicker it passes, is that an indicator that there's less pushing, pulling, and ignoring? Bowling? No, it's, no, it's just an indicator that uh, things are going faster. It doesn't, anything that happens doesn't mean something else. If it does, then you, then you're, it's just like you're getting on a merry-go-round because it'll go round and round and round. Everything that happens is direct right now. And there is no future. There's no past. It's just this all the time, everywhere, all the time. And even, even to say, oh, go ahead, please. How do I see that? You're looking at it. If you're sitting down facing a wall, not that I'm ha I'm uh, have anything to promote particularly, but I would say you asked me the question, so I'm saying, train your mind to see it, and and it's just a matter of continue continually come back to the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, the teacher, the teaching, and the community, and and of course, uh, train your mind, sit down, hold still, and watch the movement without adding to it, subtracting from it, or ignoring it, and a lot of that time is spent watching how much you or me or any of us continually add on and, and chatter. Something happens and motion happens and we add things on. We get embarrassed and we start trying to figure out why we're embarrassed. Or then we try to see if the embarrassment is actually going to lead us to this or to that, or being uh, embarrassed is the beginning of whatever, humility perhaps. It just, it's, just, it's just a rampant um, display of otherness and uh, what you're looking at is not other. It's empty of other. If you realize it, um, then I don't know how else to say it other than the, there's no more. Everything is falling apart and it doesn't put itself back together. And it doesn't need to because you're liberated. It won't matter whether you're alive or dead. Don't believe any of that. It's not belief material. That's something that I'm endeavoring to say out of what I'm looking at all the time, every day, every night, all day long. Been that way for a while. What? Shogabang, is seeing that we're a fool different from embarrassment? The seeing that you're a fool might be uh, the ongoing uh, seeing that uh, you ought to be embarrassed. <laughs> not just you <laughs> embarrassment's like it just kind of comes up it's more situational or seeing that you're a fool uh is it's it's always there that that kind of a the fool part comes from uh, realizing there's no way you can know what this is and anytime you endeavor to control or bet on something or any direction you go with this other than uh, other than to uh, observe the vow 
as a Buddhist, a practitioner, a student of Buddhism, whether you're a monk or not, just a student of this teaching, whether you're ordained or whether you receive precepts, that's, that's your business, whether you want to do that or not. More? So what happens, if I say, what happens is eventually the, the fool, there's still a fool there, but there's, but it's unreal. So even the ego is unreal. And the, when one began to see that one was a fool, which is ego, seeing that it's a fool, then that falls by the wayside. And the only time now things resurrect themselves or come back is when they are part of dependent origination. When you have a student come in front of you and ask you a question about the nature of their mind, all of that is available. Every crazy thought you've ever you've ever encountered in this lifetime or any lifetime comes up to fundamentally serve that person. Whether they know it or you know it, it doesn't come up as some kind of a credential or some kind of a, a big, huge storage uh, a unit full of uh, uh, upaya or skillful means. It just, it happens spontaneously. More? Mr. Fool? Thank you for the question. Yes. Question from Chris Smith. Chris. He asks, I went under psychosis and now I feel like I'm stuck in a trap, but with a destroyed character. I feel I'm missing a piece. Can you explain further? <laughs> I don't, I have no idea. You're quite a, quite a description. I, I, I'm not sure what you're asking me. Are you using a psychological, a psychiatric term, psychosis? Uh, what else did he say? He's trapped in a what? Um, says, I went under psychosis and now I feel like I'm stuck in a trap, but with a destroyed char character. And he wants me to explain what that means? Or? I feel like I'm missing a piece. Can you explain further? Uh, I'm very biased in this area, what the piece I think you're missing. And of course, I'm biased. I'm, I'm, I, I'm only doing this because of what I've been doing for the last half a century. Uh, the way it looks here is you need a teacher, not me. You need a teacher. You need a teaching and you need a community. And you also need to spend a lot of time looking at the mind stream in your mind. Sit down, hold still and watch. Don't use any techniques other than to hold still and observe. Shikantaza. Don't, I would not, especially would not, and with that kind of a, a question, I would not recommend any tantric techniques, any creation completion practices. If you do go that way, then make sure you have, you're talking to a Lama or to a, 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 to a tantric master. Question from Francisco Luna. Um, thank you kindly for these videos. I feel honored to listen without fixation to the shared wisdom. That was just a comment. And then Chris Smith has another question. Okay, Chris. What separates love and war, delusion and illusion? So what separates love and war, delusion and illusion? I'm not sure. Is he answering his own question? It looks like it could either be that or a continuation. 
Well, fu fundamentally, there's no separation between any of that. Nothing is separate from anything. It's the sep it's the separation, the dividing that creates the problem, creates the war, creates the polarity. So to answer your question directly, I would say they aren't, they aren't separate. And if you were to say, well, what makes it look like it's separate? I'm using, <laughs> rephrasing his question is uh, hope and fear, your belief in a self, a self that can get what it wants or your belief in a self that can stop what it doesn't want. There's no solid being in the skandhas. Sure the hell looks like it though. Like who walks out the door? Who puts on their robes? Who eats? Who is that? Find out. Find out so there's no doubt. Have any doubts? Then they have work to do. Even your doubts shouldn't have any doubts. Yeah. Go ahead. Antoinette Bowie. Hi, Sokazan. Hey. I'm finding that through my practice, although I've known myself as someone who can come to action fairly quickly, the more that I practice, I'm finding myself more and more in inaction. Um, and to give an example, um, every time a question arises, I feel like the answers that are coming from other questions being asked or answering my question, then my initial question is, is dissipating. It's kind of disappearing. Um, so my question is, uh, why is it that I'm feeling this inaction the more that I'm, I'm practicing? Did you say you're feeling inaction? I'm feeling inaction or the inability to act or there's no desire to act, it's going away. Uh, so what I would do is I, would, I wouldn't I would go to the why question because that's a circular, it's a why because, why because, why because. But I would say, what is that? A what question about that? It is just uh, showing that the, the, um, the impulsive part of perception is starting to run out of energy. It's so you're, there's less impulsive action and more uh, action based on something you absolutely have to do. So you're fine. Just continue to slow down. I'll take one final question as long as it's from Kozan. <laughs> what should I ask? Ask Kevin. <laughs> Kevin, what should I ask? Um, ask Wulong. <laughs> I do have a question. Uh oh, okay. <laughs> so you were talking about your awareness and some um, realized teachers talk about awareness when they're sleeping. Are you aware when you're sleeping? Yeah, I'm aware of my dreams. Sure. How about in, in non-dreams? Um... Uh, it, but it's not awareness in the way that we conventionally think of awareness, like awareness of an object. So it's a, it's, it, is a, a, it is a kind of awareness, but it's, it's without an object. So you might say, well, how do you know you even have it? And I would say, keep sitting. It's uh, another way of uh, talking about this is that it is unconditional confidence in what this is. You're not separate from it anymore. You're no longer separated into a little organism called a human being. 
you're also not, you know, uh, uh, connected with in some kind of a overwhelming presence that is, uh, uh, you know, like millions of bodhisattvas flying through the air or something like that, some kind of idealistic crap. It's just that you're not separate from from anything. So therefore, the, 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 the awareness doesn't really go to sleep. As I think I said, I was in, I was in a solitary retreat in 1977. And on June the 1st, 1977, I woke up, looked across the field that I was sitting in for a month. It was about two weeks into it. And I and a realization came to me. It's one of the few realizations I've ever had that nothing sleeps. And that has never left. Uh, that that doesn't mean that I was suddenly just delighted to be alive and happy and never fought with my wife. No, I started fighting even more. In fact, I went out and got married again. <laughs> and then that fell apart. And then I got married again. And I'm pretty insistent about that stuff. So it's, uh, it's been a hard life for my wives. It's been fine with me. But <laughs> they've had a hard time. <laughs> Especially the current wife here. It's just horrible being married to your teacher, isn't it? <laughs> it's my dream come true. <laughs> he says it's her dream come true. You just got a new haircut. You should stand up here and let everybody see your haircut. It looks really good. So, you have another question? Who does? Um, Francisco Luna. Okay, Francisco, go for it. Teacher, what is lucidity of mind? It's seeing the confusion with great clarity. It's like looking in a, in a garbage pit. It's like looking at a pile of snakes. It's like looking at your, your worst nightmare, you know, without running away, without grasping, and without shutting down. This is lucidity, and you can do this. You ask me the question, that's what I'm looking at. You can do it. Transcend this world, not by leaving this world, but by seeing what this world is. See what it is. It is passion, aggression, ignorance. It's the six realms. If you see it, uh, there won't be anything left to do. I guess I knocked that one out of the park, didn't I? <laughs> Okay, we can do the, uh, what is it we do at night? Dedicate the merit, that's right. May merit this penetrate into all places so that we in every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way. Heal everyone who is unhappy, sick, or suffering, and fill them with light.
If you value the teachings of Sokozan and you would like to support his teaching work and the functions of Sokukoji Buddhist Temple Monastery, which also supports monk and practice residents, please consider giving a donation by visiting our website at sokukoji.org.